You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Welcome to the Lozano Smith podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Whiteside. Nice to be here with you, wherever you are. Uh, today, I'm joined by two experts in the field of special education. We've got uh, Lori Aerosmith and Kate Tucker. Uh, why don't we have them introduce themselves? Lori? Hi, Josh. I'm Lori Aerosmith. I am senior counsel in the San Diego office, and I have been doing special ed law for about 20 years now, so have seen all the changes from various versions and all the different places we're going. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> and Kate? Hi, good morning. My name is Kate. I am an associate in the Sacramento office, and I've been practicing special ed for about three years. So I am well-versed in only the COVID-19 issues related to special ed. Okay, so then you're an expert for our modern times then. (laughs) Well, welcome, both of you. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Today we're going to be talking about something that we've seen as a result of COVID-19, which is uh, an increase in clients contacting us and and asking questions about uh, private school placements for kids with disabilities and um, how to manage that as well as homeschool placements and independent study requests and all these other sorts of alternative placements other than at the comprehensive site or at a special day class. So that's what we're here to talk about, kind of give some context. But uh, my understanding is that we have kind of two worlds in in California on this issue. So um, I believe, Kate, you and I have kind of had the same experience and seen an increase in those types of requests. But, Lori, you see something different in SoCal? I haven't seen as many private school placement requests. But um, as you and I were talking about, Josh, if the vaccine mandate does happen, the various parts of the state may have a different reaction to that. In Southern California, if the vaccine mandate comes into play, I don't think we will see as many people vacating the public schools. However, if that vaccine mandate does not go through, we may see some of that um, looking for alternatives. Where can I send my child where they, I think they will be safe, especially since mask mandates have lifted and a lot of the other protections that parents perceive need to be put in place, especially for special needs kids. Interesting. And I'm working on the Central Coast and the Central Valley. Kate, you're up here in Sacramento. What are you seeing um, these days with these types of requests? Yeah, I would say here in Northern California, especially in our more rural areas, we're having the exact opposite experience. We're getting a lot more requests for private school placements, independent study. And I would think that if the vaccine mandate does go into effect, that there will see an increase in those requests because there are a lot of communities up here that don't want to vaccinate their kids. And so public school would not be an option for them anymore. Well, let's start off the conversation, uh, you know, real kind of high level, and then we'll dive into some details here um, for the sake of our listeners. So just generally speaking, if, if I'm a parent, um, of a student who has special needs and am looking for a private school placement, um, how would I go about communicating that or, or trying to obtain that? Well, the first thing you would have to do is notify the school district where your child is attending school and probably has an IEP that you do not want to have your child educated in the public school. And there are two different ways you can notify parent. Parents can send a letter 
and basically say, we no longer want a public school placement for our child. We are placing our child at a religious school or at a private school, and we don't want anything from you. There is the other side of it where the parent says, we are placing our child in a private school, but it's because we don't like what you are offering us and we want you school district to pay for it. So that's how it normally comes about. Got it. And so it's something that they would go to an IEP meeting and request, but you mentioned there was a, uh, it was a letter, right? Instead, they, do they have to go to an IEP meeting? They do not have to go to an IEP meeting. They have to give what we call a unilateral placement notice, and they have to send a letter in writing and say, I am placing my child somewhere else. Okay. And after that letter is sent, what happens then? then the IEP team should meet within 10 days because it's called a 10-day notice of unilateral placement. So within that 10 days, it's helpful to have an IEP team meeting come together, see if you can work out the differences, mm -hmm. and then if that doesn't happen, then you have to look at do we need to file, to file a due process request to um, defend our offer or do we need to do something different or do we just say we're sorry that you don't want our placement we're here ready willing and able to provide that placement if you want it down the road okay and so if that kid um, does get enrolled in a private school and uh, the parent has made that that notice to the district and then um, that IP meeting has been held does the kid still have an IEP that's in place or is there some other plan that, that the kid kind of follows, um, something that follows the kid uh, to, to that new placement? Sure, yeah, so there is a different plan that a student in a private school is on. So essentially the law has said that the student um, is entitled to what is called an individual services plan, similar to an IEP but it's not nearly the same level of services usually. Um, that's not true for all kids, but generally it's a smaller amount of services and special education that is offered to a private school student. Um, so it's similar in nature to an IEP, but it's not the same documentation. And so uh, I understand that there's a recent case that talks about the district's obligation to uh, private school students with disabilities. Can we talk about that? It's the Capistrano case, is that right? Yes. Um, in December of 2021, the um, Ninth Circuit, which is the circuit that covers us here in California, issued a decision in Capistrano versus SW. And basically the facts of that case were parent had notified the school district that they were going to place their child in a private school and they went and said, we're going to place our child for first grade as well as second grade. And then they asked for reimbursement. The parent filed a request for due process asking for reimbursement. Capistrano said they didn't want to reimburse, and so there was a whole due process hearing. The Office of Administrative Hearings and the District Court basically said Capistrano doesn't have to reimburse for one of the years. The bigger issue in this case, though, was whether or not Capistrano had an ongoing obligation each year to meet with the parents and develop an IEP for the student. And what the Ninth Circuit said 
in a decision that I think, frankly, a lot of us were very surprised with, was you don't have to do that IEP each year unless the parent specifically requests an IEP. And so once they got through the first year that they litigated, they didn't have to go back every year and call the parents and say, do you want to hold an IEP? Can we get together to hold an IEP? Can you give us information? The court said they don't have to do that anymore. And so that would, would that be the case um, as the kid grows up and goes to maybe a different middle school and then a different high school? Is it kind of an indefinite aspect? That's what the Ninth Circuit said, is wow. until the parent asks for an IEP again, they have no obligation to provide one. So just to recap, it sounds like the kid would be private uh, placed at this private school, would have an ISP right put in place, and then potentially that would be it um, and, and wouldn't have to meet again with the district unless the parents requested an IEP meeting. Is that kind of a good summary? Yes, that's, that's exactly what they said. Now, I will say that Capistrano and in this case, the plaintiff have filed a request with the Supreme Court to hear the case, and that's ongoing. So we don't know whether there will be new law coming mm -hmm. if the Supreme Court actually takes the case for consideration. Interesting. Uh, do you, have we seen a lot of uh, districts and um, educational agencies deal with this type of situation? What has kind of been the standard practice before Capistrano? In my experience, the standard practice before Capistrano was the special education directors had to keep a list of all of their kids in private school so that they would reach out on an annual basis to those families and ask what to do, should we have an IEP meeting, and then try to figure out how to write an IEP for a kiddo that they have not seen <laughs> for months and months, if not years and years. Right, and it seems like it's kind of a, a, a mixture of a, our child find obligation, right, to keep tr track of all of our students with disabilities and then um, making sure they're getting the appropriate services. But that's really difficult to do when we don't see them for years, right? So um, now, is there any creation of any obligation on the private schools to do anything um, in this Capistrano case? Like, did they have to meet with these parents um, to talk about services at their uh, location? Or is, it, is, it, is the case mostly silent on that? The case is silent on what private schools need to do. As a matter of fact, most of the IDEA, the special education law, is silent about what private schools need to do because there really aren't independent obligations on those private schools. Well, let's turn the conversation to homeschooling. So how does homeschooling fit into this? Sure. So homeschooling is based on state law. And in California, we treat homeschooled students the same way we treat private school students. So everything that we've been talking about in terms of a district's obligation to a private school student applies to a homeschooled student as well. And I think this is another area where in talking with Lori and Josh earlier, that we've seen a difference in Northern California and Southern California in terms of the amount of requests for homeschool placements that we've been getting and if those kids then want services pursuant to an ISP or not. Right. It seems like there's a lot more interest in, in just different choices um, for different types of schooling 
Um, we saw that parents sort of had mixed opinions on, uh, to be you know, frank, I guess, uh, uh, whether or not it was adequate or not, the, the level of virtual instruction and, and independent study offerings that were provided by uh, an educational agency during the time of COVID. Um, I think this last year where most schools were open, uh, practically all schools in California were open, um, but school districts still had to provide this sort of heightened version of independent study. I have seen some parents really enjoy that, that program and the, and the kids really succeed and thrive and other places where maybe that wasn't such a great idea for some of the kids and, and they're, they're maybe coming back to the comprehensive site because of some struggles that they had. Uh, in that scenario. So th it is expected that we're going to have a little bit more of this heightened independent study provided uh, going forward for this next school year. Are these options available to students with disabilities? Can they apply for and request independent study? How does that work for a kiddo with special needs? Sure. So right now, the education code says that a student with a disability shall not participate in independent study unless his or her IEP team determines that that is appropriate. Um, however, in the last year, we've seen a case that has come about called EE versus the state of California. It's a class action lawsuit that was filed against the state of California and the California Department of Education on behalf of about 15 individual students with special needs um, with the hopes that it would then apply on a much more broader level. Um, and this lawsuit was about specifically allowing for special needs students to participate in independent study. And they've recently entered into a settlement agreement between the plaintiffs and the state of California to propose changes to the governor's education budget trailer bill, which will be passed very shortly um, on a matter of weeks. The proposed language for that trailer bill changes the education code as it's written right now. And instead it says that an, a student with a disability may participate in independent study if the IEP team determines that it's appropriate. And that's an almost negligible change. Uh, it's still the same requirement that the IEP team meet and determine that it's an appropriate placement, but it does prohibit the IEP team from considering the need for a one-to-one -one aid or additional adult support as a reason for why independent study is not appropriate. Right, because previously in the past, I mean, something like independent study would be seen as a very restrictive placement, right? Kind of like almost like home hospital instruction to some extent, or how was it seen in the in the previous scheme of, of placements? I think I would... I would interpret independent study to actually be a little less restrictive than a home hospital placement only because independent study in the traditional sense is a student sitting at home doing all their work, submitting it to a teacher, maybe meeting with a teacher once a week, once a month, whatever the case is. But really that student is responsible for doing the work figuring it out, teaching themselves. And the independent study changes that we have seen as a result of the EE lawsuit and the settlement, as well as just the idea of distance learning for special needs children really has taken a different direction in that 
school districts may now be responsible for sending people, sending personnel into the home to provide additional supports to students with IEPs that they typically wouldn't have had to do previously under the original regime of independent study. Well, that's interesting because that, you know, asking staff to go to uh, a kid's home, uh, that starts to, you know, walk into some uh, some labor and employment issues as, as well, I can imagine. Now, is that something that I, I assume the IP meeting is going to, you know, the, the team is going to make those decisions and talk about those issues. Um, but it sounds like this could created some difficulties for tracking goals and seeing progress on goals, uh, unless there is that element of either seeing the kid through virtual instruction as part of that independent study or sending the kid to the home. Uh, A kid being on their own with special needs, doing independent study, and then just checking in on a weekly or monthly basis, that that seems like that's not exactly what is expected um, under uh, under the settlement. Is that fair because are they looking at independent study like it was traditionally or are they just looking at independent study through the lens of this new heightened independent study during the time of COVID? I think that independent study as being contemplated by the EE case presents a whole new set of challenges for special education departments and special ed lawyers. The EE case, it's important to note, was a discrimination case. It was not really an IDEA FAPE case. And so even though we have this level of new needs, we still have to look very carefully for each student to determine what is FAPE for the student. And so... I do think there's going to be more challenges because I think the creativity of what is FAPE is going to change for students. Obviously, for example, if you have a student who has a lot of social needs, how do you draft goals for a student with those types of needs who is only going to be sitting at home doing independent study? Mm -hmm. Those are the questions that we're going to have to be answering over the next six months to many years. So, Kate and Laura, this has been a great discussion. I really thank you for your um, participation and thoughts on, on these issues. I, do you have any, just some general thoughts on kind of best practices or things that you've been seeing other special education directors do to try to address some of the really extreme changes that we're seeing um, in this area over the last two to three years? I think for me, The key really is educating your IEP teams to explore all options, to not just say, we can't do that, your child can't participate in independent study, but really have a meaningful discussion about what independent study looks like. Because parents don't necessarily want their child sitting at home trying to learn by themselves, but they're scared. They have a child who has disabilities, who may have immunocompromised issues, and they're scared to send a child back into the school environment. However, we're seeing a lot of parents who tried it this year and are now asking the school districts, please let us come back, it didn't work. And so it really is educating your IEP teams to have a full conversation about the whys of independent study, 
and the Howls of Independent Study. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, I would agree with that. And in addition to exploring the why and the how, I would encourage IEP teams to get creative on their offer. And if you can get to the root of the issue and address it in a way that doesn't involve independent study, if independent study is, a, is not appropriate, um, I think we're seeing a lot of IEP teams now be more creative and flexible in their offers to ensure they're providing FAPE, but in a way that you know is most appropriate for the child and not necessarily what the parent went into the IEP team meeting requesting. Well, thank you both. This, is a, this has been a, an enlightening conversation and uh, one I hope will help our special ed teams across the state plan for the next school year um, and help board members kind of understand uh, where the state of the world is on, on our students with disabilities and the various different options available to them, whether it be private school, homeschool, or uh, independent study. So thank you both. And to our audience members, if you want more information on this topic, you can visit lazanasmith.com forward slash podcast where you'll see show notes and links to the uh, client news briefs and important articles uh, that related to the cases that we talked about today. As always, feel free to subscribe to our podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts so you don't miss our next episode. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard. Thank you.